You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. Good morning to everybody. It's kind of a mixed blessing for me. I'm sorry I don't get to hear Daryl preach, but I'm awfully excited that I get to. So bear with me here. We're in the third week of a of a study called Vintage Faith, which we take from the book of Deuteronomy. I don't know how many of you have read the book of Deuteronomy lately. Can I see a hand? Not a whole lot of you. Good. (laughs) The book of Deuteronomy is a very interesting book. Sometimes when we look at it, especially the first time through, it looks like a bunch of arcane rules and regulations that we don't even have to follow anymore. That's a very surface reading of the book of Deuteronomy. The actual fact is the book of Deuteronomy is Moses instructing the people how to choose right over wrong. Because that is a question we all have. How do we choose the right way from the wrong way? How do we live a life that's pleasing to God? You might remember that Moses began the sixth chapter, which we're studying, with what Orthodox Jew called the Shema. It is uh, something they say at the beginning of every day and throughout the day. You find it in verses four and five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He then goes on in verse five, It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind. 1,500 years after Moses gave that instruction, Jesus quoted verse 5 when Satan tempted him for the third time and offered him all the world if only he would bow down before him. And Jesus quoted verse 5. He said, you shall love the Lord your God. Moses next went, next instructed them to hold the word of God in their hearts and to be diligent about passing it on to the next generation. We needed to hold the word of God in our hearts. This law that that Moses had given them. We're to hold it in our hearts. But most importantly, as we hold it in our hearts, we need to teach our children and our grandchildren. Because this faith that we have is passed on by us. If we don't share it with our children, if we don't share it with our grandchildren, then the church is only a generation away from fading. And Moses instructed his people to be diligent in teaching it. He said... He said in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It's to be a constant constant, uh, remembrance of the word of God. We're to talk about it frequently. Our whole life actually should be a witness 
to the love and grace and mercy and the word of God. And that brings us to today. Today, Moses goes on with his teaching and we find that in verses 10 through 15 in Deuteronomy 6. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out of wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name and you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of your Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Moses was equipping the people of Israel, not for the battle they had. Joshua would take care of that. He's preparing them for the victory because sometimes winning the peace is a whole lot more difficult than winning the battle. We win the battle and then lose the peace. And that's what Moses is afraid of here. That's what Moses is instructing his people. Remember, When all of this comes to pass, remember God. Remember that it's he who made all this possible. He knew that Canaan would be a place of great prosperity for them. That it was indeed the land of milk and honey that God had promised Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob and all the people all through. This was the promised land. And there was great promise in this land. But with that promise came temptation. Matthew Henry Henry comments about this passage in in, uh, scripture. He says this, here is a caution not to forget God in the day of prosperity and plenty. When they come easily by the gift, they would be apt to grow secure and unmindful of the giver. Therefore, be careful when you rest safe and soft, lest you forget the Lord. When the world smiles, we are apt to court it and expect our happiness in it. So we forget him who is our only portion and rest. There is need of great care and caution at such a time. That's what Moses is warning his people about. When things are going well, we're prone to forget God. It's a shame, but I see it in my own life and I see it in the lives of those around me and those who have shared with me tell me that sometimes when things are going well, God kind of slips by the way. Their prayers become fewer and fewer and shorter and shorter. When things are going well, we relax our spiritual disciplines. We don't read the scripture as much. We don't pray as much. We skip church occasionally. We begin to 
let those scriptural disciplines, biblical disciplines lax. We take our blessings for granted and forget to praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's a fault that we have when things are going well. That's what we're being warned about in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15. The material things that we wait and sacrifice for seem to mean more to us than those that are given to us. We all know that to be true. I mean, your own children, when, when they work hard for something and, and finally are able to achieve it and get it, do they take care of that better than they take care of something that was given to them? Yes, they do. And so do we. When we sacrifice and work for something, we tend to take care of that. But when something is given to us, when we have a gift, that's when we are in danger of forgetting to thank the giver. Especially when the giver is so generous as our God is and is giving us things all the time. Moses named some of these material blessings that they were going to get when they when they finally achieved the victory and they settled into this promised land. Large, prosperous cities, homes filled with different luxuries that they didn't earn or acquire, wells and vineyards and orchards. All of these things were there for them, for the taking. And they were gonna walk into this land and all of that would be there. They would just walk into this, this great abundance. Whenever the, the Jews took water from a well, Moses is saying, they should be thanking God for it. Wells are difficult to dig. And this is an, a, a, an area of the world where water is very precious. And yet they didn't even have to dig these wells. They just started hauling water out of them. Moses said, every time you partake of these things, thank God, be mindful of God. Most people find it easier, I think, to be close to God in adversity than they do in prosperity. I look at my own life and I see that to be the case. Because adversity usually makes us aware of our utter dependence and need of God. And that we forget when things are going well. I look at my life and I ask you to look at yours and ask if this isn't true. It's in times of prosperity. When we rest, as Matthew Henry said, safe and soft, it's those times that we begin to forget God, to set him aside. When am I most likely to set aside the routines of my life and drop to my knees in prayer? Is it when I'm well or when I'm sick? When am, I, when am I most fervent prayers? When my bank account is full or when I have bills I can't pay? When am I most passionate in my prayers? When everything is rolling along smooth and fine or when I'm being persecuted or unfairly accused? When are my prayers the most fervent? When am I most ardent? in my approach to God. It's when I'm in adversity, when I'm having trouble. It's only when prosperity comes that I begin to slack off. 
Do we thank God for our blessings with the same passion that we go to God with our needs? No, we don't. And I speak for myself here, and I ask you to examine your own life as we go through this. When do we, when do we have the most passion? Not in prosperity. There's a sense of urgency and need when we face trials. I know for my own part that I feel that urgency when things go wrong. I feel that, that push to go to God in prayer. When illness comes, especially if my wife or my children or my grandchildren are ill, I stop everything. My whole life comes to a halt and I pray. When I'm under stress, when we face financial challenges, when we face persecution, when we're unjustly treated, those are the times, those times of pressing need when we're most passionate in our prayers. But the danger that we face and the danger that Moses was warning the people of Israel about is what the writer of Proverbs said when he said he didn't want to be rich because it's when my belly is full that I deny God and say, who's the Lord? We're not very much different than the people of Israel. We like to think we are sometimes and we ask, how could they do that? How, how could they keep backsliding? Well, look in a mirror when you ask that question. How can we keep backsliding? We're not very much different than the people of Israel. Moses knew his people very well. And Christ knows us very well. We all have the same problem. When we come into possession of all the goodness that God has for us, we forget that, but for God, we'd still be slaves to sin. But for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the salvation that he brought by his sacrifice, we'd still be slaves. The people of Israel forgot that if it weren't for God, they'd still be slaves in Egypt. They wouldn't be living in this promised land with homes and vineyards and orchards and cities and wells that they could enjoy. They'd be slaves in Egypt. They forgot that. They forgot that even the battles they won in order to get this land, they won only because God went before them. And we know that's true because there are a couple of battles listed in the Bible or in, that we see that they decided to fight the battle without God and they lost. They defeated mighty cities. They defeated well-trained armies, not because they were such a powerful army themselves, but because they had such a powerful God going before them and fighting the battle on their behalf. They forgot. We wouldn't even have been victorious if it weren't for God. The problem is when we begin, when we begin to forget that God is the source of all of our blessings, 
that God is, that God is everything in our life. When we begin to forget that, we begin to fall farther and farther from God. And that brings us to the second thing that Moses warned them about. You find it in verses 14 and 15. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Well, that should have sent chills up the spines of the people of Israel. Sends chills up my spine. Remember I quoted Matthew Henry a little while ago. He said, when the world smiles, we court it. We covet it. We seek our happiness in the world. That only happens when we, be, when we cease to thank God. When our eyes come off God. Peter walked on the water as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. He didn't sink until he took his eyes off the Lord. We don't fall into, into sin while our eyes are on Christ. We fall into sin when we take our eyes off of Christ. How true it is that when the world smiles, we court it. We reach out to it. It offers such tantalizing goodies. We lose sight of the fact that all goodness comes from God. Then we begin to reach out for the things that the world has. When we forget our very salvation comes from Christ, there's the world. Smiling and holding out its hands and filled with all the goodies that the world has to offer. And they are tempting. We're drawn to the glitter and the glamour of the world, of all the things the world has. Entertainment and wealth and pleasure and cars and jewelry and clothes and good food, nice houses, sex and fame. All of those things the world holds out to us and says, look, they're all here for you. And if we're not careful, if we take our eyes off God, we'll begin to seek our happiness and our fulfillment in those things. And those things will never, ever satisfy us. We keep needing more and more and more and more of them, and yet we're still not satisfied. When all we have to do is take our eyes off that and put them back on God, and that satisfaction begins to come again. Israel lost sight of the source of their blessings. We know that from reading the Old Testament. Israel repeatedly lost sight in their prosperity, they forgot God. And as they forgot God, they began to be tempted by the nations still around them. They began to compromise with these nations that were still there. They began to bring the ways of the nation around them into their own culture. There's a huge warning to the church about that, by the way. We cannot bring the world into the church. It's the church's job to go out into the world and witness for Christ, to offer salvation. It is not the world's job to witness to us. We have to be careful not to fall in to the same error that Israel fell into. 
Instead of maintaining themselves as a separate nation from the world, they began to compromise with the world and gradually looked more and more and more like the world around them. They even began, they even began to worship pagan idols, to worship the gods of Canaan. They began to put up Asherah poles, build temples to Baal, even if we can trust scripture, which we definitely can, to sacrifice their children to Moloch. They completely fell away from God because they forgot to keep God first. The Lord is jealous. He's jealous of his people. He's jealous of the of worship, our worship, it belongs to him. And he won't tolerate us giving that worship to a false idol. Now I know we don't have graven images. We don't have any Asherah poles on our high places. I haven't, can't remember the last time I saw a temple to Baal. We don't do those things, do we? We don't worship idols. Well, think again, we do. When we began to fall into the same error that Israel fell into, when we look around and see all that we have and, and begin to say it's by my blood and sweat, by my effort I've achieved all this. My house, my cars, my bank account, my, my retirement account, look what I've done, look what I've achieved. As soon as we begin to think that way, we begin to fall away from God. It's only in the most prosperous countries in the world that God disappears. The more prosperous countries, especially countries like ours, God, if not completely forgotten, is shoved aside. He's made, if not secondary, at least equal to all these other things in our life. God will not be second and he will not share us. God will be first or he won't be there at all. And that's what the nation of Israel discovered. And that's what we need, the lesson we need to take from this. You take your eyes off God and the world will draw you in. You know, the Bible talks a lot about Thanksgiving. Why do you suppose that is? Thanksgiving and thanks and the need for gratitude toward God is mentioned over a hundred times in the Old Testament and set over 70 times in the New Testament. Why does the Bible spend so much time talking about gratitude? It's because when we are not grateful, when we lose sight of who we owe all of this to, when that happens, we drift away from God. We have to be aware of who we owe all of this to. Israel forgot. Sometimes we forget, but we shouldn't. We should never forget. We should always keep in mind that it is God who gives us all good things. And even when we are in the midst of trials and tribulations. The Bible teaches us, thank God. Still, thank God. 
You might ask, what do I have to thank God for when I'm in the middle of a, of a serious trial, when I'm sick, or when my children are sick? Well, one thing you have to thank God for is he's there. He never leaves you. He's there to give you the strength and the wisdom to get through that difficult situation. The other thing you have to thank him for is no matter what happens in this life, we spend eternity with him. I can't think of a greater gift than that. So what do we do about all this? What do we do? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to cultivate a grateful heart. Sometimes that requires some work on our part. It's easy to just go through life and not be thanking God. It actually takes a bit of discipline on our part. We don't like that word particularly, but that is what disciple is all about. We're to be disciples of Christ. And as disciples, we need to discipline ourselves to see God in everything, to see what God is doing for us in our lives. We need to cultivate that. It's work, but it's worth it because it's a grateful heart that stands as that wonderful weapon, weapon against unbelief. When we're constantly grateful to God, we don't lose sight of him. We don't turn our eyes to everything the world has to offer. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for, does, for that is the will of Jesus Christ for you. In everything give thanks. Be thankful to God. Second thing we need to do, the second thing we need to do is to focus on God. That too requires discipline. We need to read scripture. I say that everywhere I go. Almost every time I talk to people, I say, we need to read scripture. How are you gonna do what God asks you to do if you don't know what God asks you to do? I don't know how we do that. You need to read scripture. That requires discipline. We're not all called to be theologians, biblical scholars, but we are all called to be obedient to Christ. And that obedience is learned through scripture. There's a great danger if the only scripture you get is what goes on that screen on Sunday morning and what I say about it or what Daryl says about it. Now I can guarantee you that Daryl and myself pray a lot about what we say about scripture. But that doesn't make us the authority. The authority is scripture itself. You need to read scripture. You need to pray. Again, that requires discipline. To focus on God, we need scripture and we need to pray and we need to be aware that God is always there in our life. Paul says, pray without ceasing. How in the world do you do that? Don't you have other things to do in your day? You can't just be in your prayer closet all day. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying, be constantly aware of the presence of God in your life. 
and be constantly willing to go to him throughout your day, all the time. He's there, be aware of him. Think of him. He wrote to the Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. If you don't want to fall into the temptations that the earth and the world have, then be focused on God. Set your mind on things above. We need to cultivate, cultivate, we need to cultivate a reverent heart and a submissive heart. That takes work. We need to be obedient to God's will. That too takes work. But once we are, we won't even be tempted by these other gods, by the gods of self and sin that we so quickly bow down to. Focus on God. Be grateful. I'm reminded of an old hymn. Let me remind you of it in closing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of the world will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Our God and our heavenly father, we thank you from the bottom of our heart. We thank you with everything we have that you love us, that you demonstrated that love for us by sending your son, Jesus Christ. And that in him, we have a relationship with you, a relationship we never could have earned by our own merit. But in him, Lord, we can come to you. And I ask, Lord, that you remind us daily, that you remind us and you help us daily to reach out to you, to think of you, to thank you, to be aware of you in our lives and to be willing to witness for you and to share you with those around us. We ask this, Lord, so that your name will be glorified through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.